ambition sometimes is looked at as um, a negative, right? Because you're so proactive, you're always looking for what's next. And sometimes people don't like that. Some people want you to kind of, you know, sit down, be patient, wait your turn, learn some more. You don't have all the, you don't have all the answers. And you know, sometimes they're right. You're right. I don't have all the answers, but I do have an opinion. Welcome to Depth and Candor, the podcast that explores how changemakers of color define and live out their purpose through their careers, side hustles, and entrepreneurial contributions. I'm your host, Hiwate Gitana, and I am so thrilled to take you with me as I talk to incredible innovators about what it really takes to do impactful work and live a life you love. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Skillshare, which is a monthly membership site where you can take thousands of classes taught by experts all over the world. So last week, I shared that Skillshare is currently offering a masterclass taught by Roxanne Gay, who is just an incredible, incredible writer. And she is teaching a class on how to write your story. So those of you that signed up had wonderful things to say about the course, and I'm so, so happy that you took it. I find her amazing in general, so I wasn't surprised by how great the class was. I also, (laughs) this is kind of funny, I also just signed up for a course called Glam Your Instagram, (laughs) which is all about visually branding your IG so it looks cohesive and beautiful. And I'm really excited to take it. So if you're interested in either of those courses or have an interest that you want to explore and you're considering taking a class for it, why not do this for free? So you can try Skillshare for free for two months by using the promo code depth and candor free. That's all one word. Now, I'm recording this on Thursday morning from my apartment in New York before heading to D.C. for my cousin's wedding in a couple of hours. And I... As I sat down to record this, I realized that there's been one big concept that's been in my mind, just like kind of floating over and over again in my mind for the past week or so. And it, I think it's because I've been doing these like daily meditations and they're guided meditations. And the guide talks about how taking action without attachment to the outcome is a huge source of peace. And I think this is something I had struggled with for probably maybe my entire life, I want to say. Yeah, my entire life until very recently. I think just growing up, I always just thought, okay, I'm going to study really, really hard so that I can get the A, right? Like not study really, really hard so I can actually learn the concept or the subject matter. It was just to like get the grade. And I think I became an adult that did a lot of the same kind of thinking until very recently. And I think maybe now it's because I'm in a field that I'm genuinely just like really interested in and excited about. So it's much easier to learn things or to take actions without really being attached to the outcome. But I've noticed that there's a huge sense of peace that comes with that. And this isn't something I find that's talked about very often. Like both On this podcast, I don't talk about it very often, but just in the world, I think we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about how if you really want something, you need to work for it. And here are the steps that you need to take, which are all great. But I think that there's something to be said about thriving exactly where you are and that there will 
always be a next step that opens up for you because you did an incredible job exactly where you were, as opposed to thinking about all of the things that you want to do next and working towards that. Because that keeps you on this kind of like this loop where you're always, always looking for the next thing. So today's guest is a great example of someone who takes massive action without necessarily um, charting one step after the next step after the next step. And he's someone that many of my friends raved about for years because he stands out as the absolute best in his field. And that's not an exaggeration. Like this guy literally has a letter from Obama congratulating him on finishing his master's degree. And today, Quinton is the chief of staff at the New York City Department of Citywide Administrative Services, and he's an adjunct associate professor of policy and management at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. He has a public service career that spans over several years. He served as trusted advisor to two U.S. secretaries of commerce under the Obama administration. And prior to that, Quinton served as the director of finance at the White House, which, where he managed the daily operations of the White House's $55 million fiscal year appropriation. He has also served as the director of human resources and diversity at the New York City mayor's office. And he received his bachelor's in political science and administration from Florida A&M University in 2010 and his master's in public administration at NYU's Wagner Graduate School of Public Service in 2016. And of course, he was the, the class speaker. Um, so at that point, my sister was actually graduating from the same graduate program. And because I went for her graduation, I got to see him speak. And I just remember thinking, who is this guy? Like, he's my age, but has done so much. What an incredible person. And I'm so grateful that I get to sit down and talk to him. And we had an amazing, amazing conversation. The most fascinating thing in our conversation was that Quentin is clearly smart and ambitious, but he really embraces where he is at the moment, aka he takes action without attachment to the outcome. Without further ado, here's Quentin. So um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to talk to you about my journey, um, which has just literally been a, a, a blessing um, and also just uh, credits to all the folks because I truly believe it takes a village to raise a child. Even though I'm not a child, I still think that that, that saying still um, is relevant. Um, and so I think for me, um, my journey has started with just curiosity. Um, and I really believe that uh, exposure is key um, to really understanding um, your purpose in life. Um, I think that um, the more you can expose yourself to different things, you find different interests, you find different pathways, you find different careers, um, and then you just take it from there. And so that's kind of how I started with, you know, when I was, you know, in high school, I used to work for a bank um, at the time called Washington Mutual. Now it's part of J.P. Morgan Chase, but I was given an opportunity to be a teller. Um, and who would have ever thought that I... Um, was fascinated on how to count money or retail banking, but that in turn prepared me for several steps ahead by just learning how to deal with finances. And it's one of the best lessons that I've learned in my life. And so I think that, and there, there are several examples like that throughout my life, it's just learning, being exposed and taking whatever skill set or knowledge that I received from that experience and like using that for the next opportunity. So 
So how did you go from being a teller at Washington Mutual to working for the city of New York? Tell us your roles in the city because they're pretty impressive. So um, New York City, um, love it's a, it's a love relationship. Uh, always <laughs> never imagined I'd be working in what folks call, I guess they still call it the Big Apple. Um, but it's a fast paced city. Um, so I currently serve as the chief of staff for the New York City Department of Citywide Administrative Services. Um, and that's a mouthful, but basically what we do is we provide services and support services or critical services to other city agencies. And so we oversee the city's real estate portfolio, the city's facilities, the city's human capital. So all 300,000 plus employees we service at one point in time in their career. We oversee the city's fleet. So we buy, sell, um, and maintain a lot of the city's fleet. So that's, we, you know, we buy the police cars, we buy the fire trucks, we buy the ambulances, and we buy just the regular cars that you see that help um, city workers do their job. Um, and then in addition, we also oversee procurement for the city. And so we, we procure all the goods um, for the city um, and, and helping them really do um, and, and, and I guess acquire what they need or the materials that they need to get their job done. So we do a lot. Um, and I love my job because it's never a dull moment. It's always a new challenge every single day. We, we seem to, uh, get called when, um, nobody else knows what the answer is or nobody knows where to start called DCAS. Um, and, uh, my, my boss always says that you can't, um, throw a rock outside, um, and not hit something that DCAS has not touched at one point or time of that thing's livelihood. So, hmm. uh, so yeah, so that's my city job. Okay. And then you're also the adjunct, an adjunct professor at NYU. Yeah. So um, I've been an adjunct uh, professor at NYU Wagner School of Public Service for um, the past year. And now I'm starting a new semester. So this is my second year um, teaching in there. Um, and I teach what is called the capstone course. Um, and the capstone course is a practicum um, and a practical way of taking everything that a graduate student has learned throughout their matriculation in graduate school and actually putting it into work. So that strategic planning, that financial analysis, that financial management, the statistics, um, the human resources, organizational behavior, all the things that a student has learned over time, we do that in a simulated real-time consulting. And so where we solicit um, problems, issues, um, challenges, opportunities from various organizations, whether nonprofit or public, um, throughout the city of New York and some outside of New York. Um, and we create teams in our classes to address the problem. And so um, I love it. I think my students are smart, um, intelligent. I love learning from them, but I think that it really allows them to really culminate all the skill sets and things that they've learned and see how to use those skill sets to address a problem. And I think that that's what sets them apart. Um, from the majority of their their competitors at other schools because they finally get an opportunity to see what they've learned in action um, and how to utilize those skills to address a problem. So I think it's pretty cool. Okay. So what I find fascinating is that it's it feels like you make leaps in your career instead of make, taking small steps. That's at least how it looks from the outside. <laughs> so can you tell us, from the time when you were at Washington Mutual, what steps did you take to get from there to where you are now? 
So that's a great question. Um, and I'll try to think of, of, of the appropriate answer just in thinking that I really say it was just God's favor. Um, but let me tell you some of the things because I do believe faith without works is dead. So the work that I put into was really just trying to figure out what was the next skill that I was trying to develop. Um, and so even thinking through Washington Mutual, so I learned financing. I left Washington Mutual and went to work for State Farm and worked in their public affairs where um, I you know, did writing um, and communication and outreach. And I left there and moved up to the White House where I did outreach there too. And so my State Farm days allowed me you know, being in the community, being able to hear and listen and, and talk with community members um, and push ideas, push policy, that helped me out when I went to the White House because I came in kind of knowing how to engage the public, how to listen to the public, and also how to get things done for the public. And so that helped me, you know, excel at the White House when I was working in the Office of Public Engagement um, as an intern there. And then moving on when I got hired full time at the White House as a finance assistant, a lot of the, the financing that I was doing, which was more so kind of budget execution and implementation, um, my retail banking days came into play of just thinking through cash flow. Where are we spending our money? How are we spending our money? How do we keep track of ledgers? How do we understand, you know, deltas? How do we understand, you know, uh, you know government doesn't have profit loss, but similarly, like, how do we understand, you know, the balancing of the books? And so my Washington Mutual days played a big role in me really just understanding how people think about money um, when I moved to the White House. And so as you can see, a lot of things just kind of, of, of and I didn't know this was happening, but they kind of just, you know, propelled me to the next step. And so I think the, the, the ultimate thing that I was very focused on was just learning. Right. And I wanted to take on things that nobody else wanted to take on because that's where the learning experience is. You know, I think a lot of times, specifically people um, our age, we, we, we want to be so focused on achieving that one goal that everybody else is doing. And I think the way to get ahead sometimes is taking on those projects that nobody else wants to take. Right. And so if you're raising your hand saying, oh, no, I'll take the least favorite project. I'll take the thing that doesn't look sexy. I think that. It, one, it allows you a little bit of cover because most oftentimes when people give you those projects, they're not really expecting you to succeed anyways. And so there is a little bit of trial and error that you have um, to kind of do what you want. And I think that that's what's propelled me. I never thought I would work at finance at the White House. I really didn't have a big background in finance. Um, and as you know, retail banking is different than you know running the finance or budget operations of you know, of an organization. They're two totally different things. But what I did is like, hey, nobody wants to do it. You know, I'll put my foot, i put my, my hand up and my foot in, in the, I guess it's not my foot in the game, but, you know, I'll put myself in the game. And then I just studied. I talked to people. I, um, I read. I stayed up late. I always tell people I had to work double shifts just to keep up. Um, and that's how I excelled. I think that you know, I have a certain skill set that I um, think is true to me. And I think that it's important for folks to figure out what that skill set is for them. So I always say I um, design, build, and I attract somebody to run. it, Right. And so I'm very good. If you look at my career, I'm very good at designing programs, designing organizations, designing structures, and then building them out um, and making sure that they're, they're sustainable and then finding someone to run them. And so that's been my cycle, the cycle of life for every single job that I've had. Um, and that's 
just my skill set. And that's what has propelled me throughout um, these various careers, I guess, if you will. Hmm. So would you define your purpose as designing systems? I would say more so designing institutions and organizations, which which systems are a part of that. So yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you define success? If in every job, what you are focusing on is learning and building, how do you define success, career success for yourself? So that's a great question. And I will tell you that I still struggle with that question a little bit. So I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you the right now answer um, mm-hmm. is really just feeling good about my impact, right? Um, and I think that that's how I define success because I think that um, success is not always about, a, it's not always a numbers game. So, you know, in marketing or sales, it's like you're selling so much. Um, in policy or legislation, it's like, did I get something passed? To me, I, I like when success for me is how and when I leave the organization or when I do something, how did I make the people feel? What was the impact that I made? And I think that is what success means to me. And I love the fact that um, if I, <laughs> at my last um, uh, job, um, before I came over to DCAS, I was at the mayor's office um, and I was the director of HR, um, HR and diversity and EEO there. And what what made me feel special was, is people talked about the culture change that I made, right? Um, and they talked about how the things that I instituted, and it wasn't just me, it was the team, the team instituted, made them want to come to work, made them feel better at work, made them feel more engaged at work. They looked forward to coming to work. And as you know, anything that works in government or politics is is they're oftentimes very highly stressful jobs. And so small things like take your daughter to work day, take your son and daughter to work day, um, you know, doing massages, like, you know, doing healthy things, you know, uh, uh, ensuring that people are getting information so they're not hearing it the same time the mayor is announcing it, you know, to the public. You know, small things like that, I think, were very, very powerful and helpful to kind of building that culture that I think the mayor was very, very um, looking forward to because he wants to take care of his staff, just like any um, CEO of a company or any elected official wants to do. And me being able to deliver on some of those things and actually hearing, you know, the employees talk about the impact, I honestly didn't even realize that I had made that impact. And so I I think that's that defines success for me. And I think it's different for every role and every stage of my life that I'm in. But I would say that's, that's, that's the answer as of right now. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. So, you know, you are very clearly, even from the um, example that you just gave me, you are clearly a top performer wherever you land. So, Tell us, like, what is your mindset every morning when you're going to work? Or, like, do you have habits that you make sure you implement on a day-to-day basis to keep you at the top of your game? Yes. Um, And I would encourage anybody who's listening and everybody who's listening is you have to have have a a regimen. It's just, it's just, it's just, you just need it. And I can... This could probably be another podcast on how how to how to uh, regiment your life or how to be successful and how to you know use twenty four hours in a day. So I guess I would say is there's twenty four hours in a day, right? Most people they say that you should get, and I'm not a scientist, but or sleep expert, but they say you should get between seven to eight hours of sleep a day. I truly believe in that, and so 
for me, I get probably around six hours of sleep. So I try to get seven, but I get six. And what I do every day is I wake up around uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I go to CrossFit. That's my morning thing. I do CrossFit every morning. And if I don't do CrossFit, I'll go on a run or I'll go to the actual regular gym. Um, and that's my way of starting my day. That's my way of ensuring that my mind is in peace. Um, I'm a very spiritual person, so I listen to gospel in the morning. It's what helps me. Uh, William McDowell, Travis Green, these are my, these are my artists. Uh, Tasha Cobb, um, you know, these are my artists that really start to pump me up in the morning and kind of get my gear going. I'll get my gears going. And then I also listen to the news in the morning. So I'm a big, I'm a busybody type of person. So like I like to multitask and things of that sort. Um, and so I, uh, while I'm getting dressed or while I'm on the subway, I'll always listen to the New York Times daily podcast. Yeah. Uh, not podcast, I'm sorry, daily um, debrief on Audible. So it's an audio book. Oh. And so okay. I download it and I listen to it on the train because, you know, I don't have that much time to read the paper every day. And it's the top highlight items. And then I also just scroll the news. And that's my way of keeping abreast of what's going on. I look at governing magazine. I mean, these are all things that, of course, are important to my field. But I would just recommend anybody else do it for what, you know, whatever magazine or news thing that's, you know, relevant to their field. Um, and then I work, I work long hours, right? So I get to work around 8.30. I probably leave on average around 6.37 on a good day. And hopefully I don't have a, a, a reception or a, a dinner with friends or colleagues, et cetera, after that. Um, and then I come home. I, I'm a big fan of Law & Order. So that's my time to just like literally watch a little bit of TV, Law & Order, or I binge watch Queen Sugar. Right. So these are my small things that I say that just to say that, you know, you have to continue to make sure that you're feeding yourself um, and filling yourself up. Right. Um, I normally cook. So I'm, if I didn't eat that night, I enjoy cooking. So I'll cook at night. I'll, um, you know, do a big fan of steak. So I'll do steak or something that has seafood in it. Um, I'll do that. And then, you know, probably still watch a little bit more Law and Order. I may read a little bit. Um, I may make a phone call. It's also my little family time. So I'll make a phone call to my mom, my grandmother, um, or somebody and just check in. And then I go to sleep and then I start all over again. Mm. So that's- I'm so happy you shared that. That's so <laughs> helpful. So tell me this piece, though. When you have done CrossFit, you've listened to the New York Times Daily Brief, and you get to work. Mm -hmm. Is there something specific that you're thinking like are you thinking i'm here to solve problems or are you here like what's driving you on a day-to-day -day basis to keep doing your best so i would say i i think when i when i get to work in the morning you know how people i don't drink coffee but so people get their coffees i'm the one that's thinking like what are going to be your distractions today what are the projects mm -hmm. that you need to focus on and what are going to be your distractions i try to proactively think about what are going to be my distractions in the day. And that's everything from just looking at my schedule saying, okay, I got this meeting, I have that meeting, oh, right at that meeting, I know that meeting is not going to go well, or I know that meeting is going to be a tough meeting, so then I know I need five minutes after this meeting. Because if I go, if I don't get five minutes after this meeting, I'm going to be distracted and go into the next meeting. So I like to think about that, um, but I also have, I'm one of those people who like to write on note cards. So I will literally start my list of, of things that I need to do that day or work on that day and I'll send it to um, uh, my assistant and she's amazing at keeping me <laughs> accountable. And so at the end of the day, she will ask me or throughout the day, she'll be like, okay, did you do this? Did you do that? Or some of the things I'll have noted on there 
are things that she can take care of. And so she's amazing at trying to pick things like, oh, I can do this. Oh, you just need that. Oh, I, I can do that. And so it's, it's, that's kind of what I use the morning to do. It's like that 30 minutes when I get there where I'm trying not to answer any emails because I probably answered them on the subway on the way in. Um, and just like literally just make sure that I know where I'm at. I think most of the time people don't know where they are, right? Especially when they're rushing. It's time to take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm at work now. Now I need to get into work mode because I just was in CrossFit mode and I was aggressive at CrossFit. Either I was throwing a tire or I was, you know, using a sledgehammer. So like, I have to really take a couple breaths and not take the same, um, the same attitude that I had in CrossFit, that competitive nature, and move it over to work. And so there is a little bit of a transition period. <laughs> So you mentioned tough meetings or tough moments at work. Um, how do you manage? I mean, you're a relatively young leader in the organization. You are a black man in a predominantly, I want to guess, white institution. Um, how do you manage moments of self-doubt? Or if there are any other like negative feelings that come up often, how do you manage that? So I think it's a great question, um, and uh, you're absolutely correct. I'm a I'm a I'm a young black male um, who is in a senior leadership role, but also time I have sometimes self doubt myself about you know um, uh, what's going on. Am I am I what am I here for? And I think everybody has that no matter where you're at on the totem pole. Um, but for me, one one of the things that I I and one of my close friends actually told me this this past weekend, and he and he told me he said, "You know what your skill set is?" And I said, "What? <laughs> Let, you know, educate me on what my skill set is." And he's like, "You are malleable." And I was just like, "Huh?" It's like one of the one of the things that has helped you get to where you are is that no matter what it is, no matter what people throw at you, they can't break you. Um, and I think that that is something that goes to your question about, you know, when people either doubt, you know, your value or they think that, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't do that. I think that that's where I come in and be like, you know, you may think that, but everything else is against what you're saying because I'm standing right in front of you. So I'm here. And so I think part of it is, is also just accepting that you're in a position and accepting the things that come with being young, being black, being in a large organization, being in a very diverse city. Um, and that's what you have to prepare for. Um, I think that I have gone past the, the, the notion of trying to um, beat myself up and trying to worry about what people think about me um, and really just trying to focus on, I'm here for a reason. Um, and it doesn't, I don't really care enough if you like it, like me or don't like it, but I'm here and I'm going to do my job. Um, and regardless if you try to make my job easy or not, I see it as a challenge. And so every day, you know, and it, and sometimes it's not even a malicious challenge. It's just a, it's a challenge, just working with people. People are diverse. People have their own <laughs> ideas. They have their own sentiment. They have their own way of doing things. And that's a, that's a struggle sometimes, specifically for someone like me, who I claim to be, and you know, I have an entrepreneur. I claim to be an intrapreneur, so I change organizations from the inside out. I act as though an organization is a startup, and I really try to think through like, what are some of the things that we can change? What are some of the governance structures that we can move around so that decisions flow a lot quicker, so that people feel a lot more engaged, so that processes are a little bit more transparent. 
you know, I'm always thinking about those things. And to be honest with you, being young in any organization, and I, probably a lot of your, your listeners think of this too, is, you know, ambition sometimes is looked at as um, a negative, right? Because you're so proactive, you're always looking for what's next. And sometimes people don't like that. Some people want you to kind of, you know, sit down, be patient, wait your turn, learn some more. You don't have all the, you don't have all the answers. And, you know, sometimes they're right. You're right. I don't have all the answers, but I do have an opinion, right? And I think that it's, a, you know, I've accepted the fact that instead of trying to change everybody and control what people think, the only thing that I can control is myself. And so I challenge myself every day is like to show up and be present. And I'm not saying be inauthentic. That's nowhere near what I'm saying. But I use my skill set of being malleable, being smart, being intelligent and being experienced and having been exposed to a lot of things. I use that to my advantage. And I like to call it just strategic. You know, I know when to approach people. So if I know such and such, it doesn't have good mornings, then guess what? I'm not going to bring something to them in the morning. It's, it's just that simple. I, I use that that skill set, and that's why how I think how I think. Right? You know, time will, and history will tell. I think that's how I've been able to be successful. It's just really just accepting who I am, accepting the skin that I am. I'm not changing my skin. I love. I'm unapologetically black. I'm unapologetically young. I'm unapologetically smart. I mean, I, you know, I love my HBCU. It taught me everything that I needed to know to live in this world. And it's just now putting that thing, putting those skill sets to practice. So I said all that to say is I, you know, I, I know it's hard. And, um, but I, I do think that, um, I do think that the, 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 I guess the phrase of, you know, the only thing that you can control is yourself. So why are you worrying about everyone else is yeah. true. Yeah. And it's, it's, it sounds a lot like, you take complete responsibility for your life. Yes. So if you come across challenges, you're willing to work through it because you know that you there's like an internal locus of control. So you know that you can shift things that happen to you. I should have used exactly what you said because you you surmised you 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 gave the summary a lot better than I did. I feel like I went all around the world no, to get to exactly no. what you said, but I totally agree. I totally That's agree. Awesome. So have there ever been challenges that have intimidated you and you've never, like, has there ever been a job opportunity that you were like, oh, I don't know if I'm qual if I'm qualified enough for that. I'm not going to go for that. Um, I think my entire, more so my adult career has been like yeah. that, right? So, you know, me being the, you know, associate director of finance at the White House, I had never done finance in my life. And then me moving up to being acting director, I had never done finance in my life before from that perspective, right? And so that entire process was a learning process um, into being the director of HR um, and diversity and EEO at the mayor's office. I had never, I mean, um, I have never been in HR prior to me becoming the director. Um, so why did you go after these roles or like what mindset did you have when you were going after them? I like challenges. And I think that for me, my one of my goals in life is to um, gain and understand and develop the skills to run large scale, um, large scoped, um, large service delivery organizations. Right. And so one of the things that I have set out to do 
is just to put myself in different roles and different positions that give me exposure to the things that matter to these large organizations, right? So finance matters to an organization, budget matters matters to an organization, human resources, how you treat your personnel, how you bring them on board, how, unfortunately, how you have to terminate someone. Like these are type of things that matter to organizations. And so me being able to take on these roles um, at, a, at a younger stage in my career, I think is develop, developing that leadership and management capacity that will set me up for the long run. And so while when people look at my resume, sometimes they, they will think, oh, that doesn't really kind of make sense. You know, why did you just stay within HR? Or why didn't you stay within finance or something like that? And because that wasn't my goal. And I, and I also think that most people, and I'm telling you this now, but I don't think that folks have to explain that. I think a lot of times, you know, the way we get psyched out is when we start explaining what our career journey is and what we want to do, those, those no-sayers or as, as one of my uh, colleagues told me the other day, those uh, distractions or those detractors, they'll start talking and then you'll start wanting to change your plan or change your God-given destiny to something else when all in all... <laughs> When in all, you were on the right path the whole time. It, your career doesn't have to make sense to everybody else. Mm, I love that so much because I know we have a lot of listeners who are on a career path and they're like, I don't want my boss's job, but it feels very intimidating. And like, you're, like you said, it feels like everyone outside of you thinks that you should go directly in the path that you seem to be on. But we all pivot. Like there are very few people that I know that have gone straight down one path and landed where they wanted to be. Right. Um, so I'm sure you have friends who ask you for advice or ask you for tips on, uh, maybe you don't, but like, what is your advice for people who are trying to find their purpose and who are trying to build a career that they love? Um, one phrase, and I'll go into detail maybe. Um, is spend more time with yourself. Mm, it's it's it, it's oftentimes we think we know what we want, um, but oftentimes that is just a a um, I guess what do they call when it's like a smoky mirror, like you can't really see, but beyond the fog. And, yeah, and yeah. so like, it looks good. It looks fine. You know, if, if, if someone was to tell me, oh, you should be the CEO of this large organization, I'd be like, oh, wow, really? I can do that? Oh my gosh, that, that would be great. And while that looks so great, I'm being distracted from what I was really purposed to do. And so mm -hmm. the only way I'll know what I was purposed to do or even what I, what I enjoy, right? Like, let's even take a step back. Even we've been talking about like as simple as what you enjoy as far as like going out at night, right? You know, do mo do you know, are you emotionally intelligent? What is your EQ, right? Do you know what makes you mad? Do you know how many hours of sleep you truly need? Is six your optimal number of, of hours of sleep? Do you know the, the, days, the days that you get sick? Do you know what makes your allergies, you know, fluster up? Do you know when your voice trembles, what you need to do when that happens? Do you know how to stop your nerves from being um, when you're about to speak? This is this is something that, you know, I read a lot of books about, you know, the self-development and kind of the psychology around, you know, top leaders and top management professionals. And a lot of it talks about you can't go out telling other people what to do 
or how to act or leading other people if you first have not developed and understand how to lead yourself. Because empathy is a true skill and empathy is a true thing. And if you if you don't know anything about yourself, how are you supposed to go and, and tell someone else about themselves? And I know that kind of sounds a little bit cliche, but that would be my that's my that's my guidance. Spend time with yourself. And oftentimes people be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. You don't want to do that. That's a waste of time. I, I mean, I can only I can only tell you what I've done. Um, and so, you know, I don't claim to be the most successful person ever. But if folks think that I have have had anywhere near a success that they either have gotten, you know, to similar levels or et cetera, I would say that that's what's helped me personally get to where I am because I know. So when those no sayers say that, hey, you're too young. Oh, hey, you're black. Oh, hey, you're this. Oh, hey, you're that. I'm I'm very, very clear of who I am and I don't have to go and improve anything. Right. And so I think that that just helps me you know, be calm and have a good level of discernment and a good level and a good temperament um, and also good tolerance because I know what is true. I think Oprah says, that Oprah has a book out that says, um, I think it's called, the, think it's called. The, the Things I Know to Be True or, or, or something in that, that uh, or what I know to be true. Um, and it's just, you should be able to say that about yourself. You should know everything about yourself. So. I love that so much. I think that, that aligns with everything that I believe about moving forward, period. So even outside of career, even when it comes to relationships or like romantic relationships or interpersonal relationships and like your family or whatever, I think that we have a tendency to look externally to validate what we want to be true or what we hope to be true. And we hope the world defines who we are for us. <laughs> but I love that everything you're saying points in the direction of look inward, do whatever you need to do to understand yourself first. Yep. That's awesome. Um, okay, so where can people connect with you if they have questions for you? Do you mentor people or is there anything that you do outside of your job? So yeah, um, you can always catch me at CrossFit. Um, so if, you, if, if you're willing to come do uh, a workout or if you're willing to do, you know, want to run on the weekends, that's where you can find me. Um, I'm, uh, that's where I'm at. Um, I love the movies as well. So um, you can catch me catching uh, the, the latest movie, um, probably somewhere by myself in the theater. So if you want to come, feel free to join me. Just don't talk during the movie theater. I mean, during the movie, but <laughs> feel free to join me. I think I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on uh, Instagram. LinkedIn, it's just my name, Quentin Haynes. Um, same thing with uh, uh, other social media um, platforms. Um, you can find me on there. Um, and I'm happy to connect. I think for me, I'm a little, I have a theory on mentorship. And so while I do, I guess uh, by definition, I do mentor people. Um, at the stage that I'm at right now, I think that I'm more of, I try to be a sponsor rather than a mentor. Um, because I feel like I'm still being mentored and sponsored too. And so uh, while I what do- Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. What's a sponsor? So the difference between a mentor and a sponsor is a mentor is someone who kind of gives you advice on an issue, right? A sponsor, in my opinion, literally helps you achieve said goal. And that's not to say a mentor doesn't do that as well. Sometimes mentor and spot mentorship and sponsorship are are combined, but I think a sponsor sponsor is really like, what do you need from me? Um, and if your goal is to get this job. And I would say that, hey, I'm going to help. I'm going to sponsor you. I'm going to help you get that. That means that 
you getting that job is just as important to me as it is to you. And so I'm going to make sure that you get that job or I'm going to exhaust whatever resources that I have available to help you get that job. Um, and, I, and that to me could be a one-time thing, right? And so I provide, in my, in my mind, I provide sponsorship to people all the time. Some people that I know, some people that I've had a relationship with before, um, whether it be at work, friends, acquaintances, associates, colleagues, coworkers, and they just needed something from me then, right? Um, and that's what I did. Um, and then I move on. I think that sometimes when we, we get caught up in mentorship a little bit too much because they, we only say, okay, you can only mentor one or two people. And that's checking in with someone every single you know, week or month. And granted, that sometimes is necessary. And I'm not knocking it. I w- I'm still being mentored. Or I think that I have mentors and sponsors. But I feel like for me, I'm more on the sponsorship level. Like, let me know what you need me to do. You know, you, we don't have to talk every month. We don't have to talk um, every, every year. Um, I've had people that have contacted me that I haven't talked to since high school or talked to since I graduated um, Florida a University, FAMU, who have asked me for favors. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to, you know, do the whole, you know, you know, how have you been and all that stuff. That's great, but let me know what you need. Don't worry, I'm going to help you. Because I, I would want somebody to help me. I mean, because it's just impossible to keep up with everybody. So yeah. <laughs> that, that, I guess that would be my definition of sponsorship. Okay, I love that. So is there anything that you're working on that the Depth and Candor community can support you with? I think that um, more people that um, uh, are in the spaces that um, I'm in. And so uh, like putting it out there that, you can be young and be a senior leader if you want to be. Um, it, is, it is a challenge, it is, but it has great rewards. And so I think the community can really just be an advocate of going after your dreams and actually pushing the, the, the word out there that one, the city is a great place to work, public service is great. Um, and I would just say like being open to helping people. Um, especially with people that you don't even know um, or you've not met before. And I think that that's what we need. We just need to create this community where people are willing to, you know, help them without having to go through this vetting process that oftentimes um, is laborious, right? Like when people feel like they have to vet you before they help you. And I will tell you that um, our counterparts on the other side develop these networks that you know that they would just they would, they would give you a hundred dollars if they thought that it was going to help you out and i'm not saying let's go out and give a hundred dollars to everybody but what i am saying is like just being a lot more open to helping people without being so worried or having to say that i want something out of it and getting rid of the, the whole thought process the quid pro quo right if you need something i got you thank you so so much for making time for this interview thank you i really appreciate it um and thank you so much for all the work that you're doing i think interviewing folks um and really spreading the good news of everything that everybody is doing is is powerful and so kudos to you for developing this creating this um you are you are amazing in your own right and here we are. Today's episode was brought to you by Skillshare. If you haven't already headed over to Skillshare to sign up for Roxanne Gay's writing masterclass or the less fancy Instagram branding class that I'm taking, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. If you would like to take one of thousands of classes and try Skillshare for free for two months, you can sign up using the promo code depth and candor free, all one word. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and a review on iTunes. It would help make episodes and podcasts like this one more accessible to people who don't know about depth and candor and who want to create incredible work and live a vibrant life. If you want more from me, like goal setting worksheets and access to secret episodes, join the squad by going to depthandcandor.com backslash subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram at depthandcandor. Until next time, live vibrantly. Bye.